So what are you going to tell us, tough guys? My usual. Zero. Nothing. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to what is being called a groundbreaking podcast. It is the Pop Culture Podcast. We're up to episode 70-something, I'm fairly confident to say. And I'm coming at you as a father of two, my my lady. I'm going to say my lady and I, we uh, we got through the labor together. We did. I was brave. She was brave. People always people always try and tell you, hey, women are women are heroic. And I go, well, you know what? We did it together is what I say. It was a team effort. We're new parents. That's what I've always said. It was a difficult birth as well. Because I, um, I much prefer peace and quiet. And it was very noisy. She kept groaning all the time. I said, babe, honestly, like I, I don't know how many times I have to say this now. I've... I've asked you three or four times to stop groaning because every time you do, I can't hear the TV show. Just trying to watch. She didn't listen. She just kept. She kept groaning. I go, babe. Okay. Well, you know how I feel about subtitles. Just I feel like it takes away from the takes away from the show a little bit. It's women for you, isn't it? It's a joke. It's a big fat joke. Subtitles aren't that bad. It's just mucking around. We got a new little boy, Ollie Oliver Philip Popplestone. We put Philip in there in the uh, in memory of his or my uncle, who was also a he was he was a great man. He he died a few years ago. A wild man. He he lived fast, die young was the slogan of his life, which isn't why we adopted it. I just liked him as a bloke. He uh, it's funny when people ask him who he's named after. If he's honest, he's going to have to say cocaine addict. You know, a little rebel, but a wonderful, wonderful man. And so, I mean, I'm sure he'll take that. Well, we called him Oliver, but officially it's it's officially it's officially Oliver, but really it's Ollie. I'm personally not a huge, huge fan of Oliver. I don't love it. Very, very official, I think. You want to be careful when you give your kid a, a very official name. I was a huge fan of the name August and, and also Cisco I liked, which had a 100% fail rate. When I told anyone that I liked the name Cisco, they, they said, Tice, don't do it, mate. What are you trying to prove with the name Cisco? What do you, you think you're Beyonce? You can't go doing that unless you're a rock and roll star. I said, have you heard the pop culture podcast? They would say, never heard of it. And I'd say, well, watch this space because I'm pretty sure i got reason to believe I'm a rock star with what's going on over here. But I hope you guys are doing well. Man, in seriousness though, oh my goodness. Ladies, a huge shout out to you. My wife had a C-section for the first birth. So we, I, I never got to see the contractions. I never got to see her in pain. This time, she, she took it very seriously. She had done her research. She had been speaking to a whole heap of home birthers. We're really starting to sound like anti-vaxxers now, aren't we? We're, we've fallen into the category of people who we didn't have the vaccine and we're also curious about home birth, <laughs> which I feel says something about the character of, of person that we're, we're slowly becoming, which I don't mind because I went to mum's group yesterday and had a chat with a person who, uh, those definitions, the anti-vaxxer, home birther, I think it fits her perfectly. She was wonderful. She's very brave. She said she's had three home births and only minor rips of the vajij. Gee, it's a tough, it's a weird, it's a weird transition for a man to be in a room with a woman giving birth, I think. I, I think I was a little more of a fan of the 50s when men weren't really expected to be in the room. And I say that because there's there's certain facets of that experience that you don't you don't really uh, People said to me, they go, Tice, trust me, when it comes to the crunch, you're going to want to see that baby come out. So get yourself prepared. I know you say you're not interested now. 
But when you're in that room and your boy's coming out of your wife's vagina and it's one opportunity to see him enter into this world, you're going to want to see it. I got in there. I, I couldn't disagree with those people anymore. There is no part of me, not even, not even the slightest part of me, thought it'd be good to see this baby come out of my wife's vagina. And there's a classic slogan about pubs being burnt down, your favourite pub being lost. And um, I'm going to be honest, it's a pub I haven't seen very regularly for the last six months because pregnant chicks are a bit yucky, aren't they? <laughs> They're not. They're not yucky. I'm just not used to having sex with fat chicks. It's just, no, that's, a, that's a weird one, isn't it? You've got to be careful how you say that. And in this day and age, there's nothing wrong with fat chicks. It's more, it's the Billy Brownless style for you AFL football fans out there. It's that Billy, Billy Brownless pot belly style that, that freaks me out. And I think I've said before, I think the, the main concern for me was that I was going to feel a kick because our baby in, in my wife's tummy was very, very active. And the idea of, of, it's just, have you seen that scene from Knocked Up? Go to the Knocked Up sex scene. Type that into YouTube when your friends aren't around because it's a weird thing to, to be caught typing in by yourself. Got to be careful with the Google searches, but you'll see what I mean. I, I think that's the best description. It sounds like a joke. You don't want your baby's first vision to be that, assuming they have any memory. But it just it feels like an invasion of their privacy. It's like they can't, they can't go to another room. They've got no ability to go anywhere else. They're stuck right there. And so, like, the idea of, of me having my way with my wife a little bit and intruding on that space, it, it just feels very uncomfortable to me. It feels almost as though it's a, you know, that would, if when I was applying for a working with children checked, I put that information on the leaflet that I had to fill out. They'd go, you know what, maybe maybe come back in a few months when your kid's born because that's really quite inappropriate behaviour. You can't be going into a primary school and, you know, flopping bits around. So I don't see why, like I consider that a human life when it's when it's inside the tongue. I don't see how it's appropriate. I had a chat with a friend a couple of weeks ago though. He said, Toss, I find pregnant women very beautiful. I said, yeah, no, but like sexually not, not so beautiful. Yeah, he goes, no, sexually, like quite attractive. And I said, well, I think that's a fetish, to be honest. I think, I think pregnancy fetishes is a thing, but I, I don't think that goes into the normal category. I think that goes into the category of, of people who have a foot fetish, which ironically, no joke, this guy does. He speaks about it quite openly. He likes the feet. Talks about how there's been an imaginary imaginary line just drawn around the ankle. Said, "Don't, don't suck anything below here." And I think that's a very good rule, especially if your wife uh, likes to walk around the house without socks on, or she's a runner. The idea of you know potentially her not having a shower and having sour toes. It just, I'm not sure. There's certain things that a human body isn't designed to do, and I, I just think. Um, you know, sucking on toes and having sex with a pregnant woman are right up there. It's not because I'm an arsehole. It's just because, you know, when you say it's not because I'm an arsehole, it's just because like, essentially that just highlights the fact you're an arsehole. And I'd like to recognize, uh, just like you have, that that's, that's exactly what's taken place. But our boy came out. Men have a reputation of not being great in the birthing suites, don't they? I was speaking to a, a friend of ours yesterday, Jana. Her name is, and she's got uh, she's got three kids, and she was telling me that her husband, who's the most laid back guy in the world, Nick, his name is, whenever they go into a, a, a labour, one of the biggest stresses is Nick goes from a laid back guy to a pacer. He'll just start cutting laps up and down the room, and he needs to take a break from time to time. So she said, "Hey, look, let's just plan this before we go in. I'm going to be in a lot of pain. If you're struggling at any point seeing me in that much pain, I give you permission to leave the room for a bit, catch your breath." come back in. 
And so midway through her birth, or three quarters of the way through her labor, I should say, Nick decided it was a little too much for him. He went out and came back half an hour later. She goes, Nick, like 30 minutes? What are you doing? 30 minutes is a long time. I thought you were going to be gone for a couple of minutes. Where were you? He goes, oh, sorry, babe. I was in the parents' room just watching the cricket. She was like, mate, you don't even like cricket. <laughs> it's amazing what you can develop an appreciation for when you've got far worse alternatives. Like it was a choice between football and cricket. Well, cricket's a ridiculous option. You watch the footy. But the option of watching your wife on her hands and knees struggling, struggling as her child moves through the birth canal to make its grand entrance into the world and going to watch the cricket, well, I could appreciate I could appreciate the cricket in that instance. And even a test match, to be honest. One day is a usually of no appeal to me, but if my wife was in that situation and that was on tally, I would give it a watch. I would have a look. Midwives as well. I've got a new respect for midwives. Because I thought, like, this whole COVID period's been strange, don't you reckon? The last couple of years, there's been... There's just been silly rules in amongst the good rules. There's, and it's been hard to differentiate between them because at, right now we're at a point where we go, okay, well, it doesn't make sense that I'm allowed to go into Parliament if I'm vaccinated and have COVID, but I'm not allowed in if I'm not vaccinated and don't have COVID. That doesn't make rules, but yet it is one. And so we've gotten used to that and we try and justify it. And, and, and so I was nervous that the hospitals were going to be super strict on the mask wearing idea. And I won't tell you where our baby was born just, you know, out of protection for the uh, the wonderful midwife. But I walked in and obviously we have the asterisks next to our name to say these people haven't had the vaccine. So I walked in and um, our midwife came up and she's like, hey, Tyson, I'm just going to give you this mask because it's, you know, it's got really good protection. Then we walked into the room. She's like, hey, mate, just so you know, I, cu- I couldn't give a shit about whether you wear this mask in or not. But just know there's a couple of ladies here who are very intense. Save yourself the argument when they come into the room, just chuck it on. And I was like, you know what? You're a wonderful woman. That's exactly what I'm going to do. And so it was a, a very smooth process. For, well, for me, really, apart from all the noises, I was just like, you know, apart from all the distraction from what it was, that's not even funny, is it? You can't be joking about that when your little lady's in the shower trying to push a baby out of her ass, out of her vagina. That's what my wife used to say to me when we first got together. She's like, I want to have kids, but the idea of pushing it out of my ass doesn't excite me. And I was like, babe, you understand where the baby comes out, don't you? Like, you've done a couple of anatomy classes at your at your private Christian school, haven't you? She goes, I do, but I just it, it feels more reasonable to me. It feels a little bit less dirty for me to say coming out of my ass than out of my vagina. I think when you have kids, it changes the way you see your partner's body as well. It changes the way they see it. I used to think boobs and vagina were designed purely for a man's enjoyment. Like when they were, when you were getting ready to get a little bit freaky, you're like, bang, one, two, yes, and three, home home run. Fantastic. Then you see it, all of a sudden, boobs just become like tiny little straws. You see them for what they are. You see the baby go to them and go, okay, this is my access to the milk. Without these, if it was just skin over the top of this, there'd be no access to that milk. You go, hang on a second. I thought they were mine. I don't want to share them. And also don't want to get excited, go down there and get a milk moustache because you're uh, you're in that lactation period. But it's it's just one of the it's one of the things that you learn along the way. And my wife said she's a producer in that department, so uh, you know any any excitement triggers it. I had a friend a while ago, and she was telling me that when her partner and her have sex when she's pregnant, she gets so excited that milk just starts squirting everywhere. And I said like, that is one of the most unattractive images I've ever seen. You're a very attractive woman. 
but the idea of you just squirting milk all over your bedroom in the middle of an intimate moment. It's like the ice cream machine at Wendy's is broken and all of a sudden it's just squirting all the patrons. It's like, that's not what, what it's supposed to do. In its proper place, beautiful, nourishes our child. Squirting over the room, knowing it's something I have to clean up after this little, you know, I'm not going to tell you how long the experience would go for in a Popplestone household, but anything over two minutes is brilliant. You think I'm joking? I'm telling the truth. I'm about efficiency. I've watched too much Gary Vee to go, okay, well, like, should we make this last 45 minutes? I go, no, if we get this done in two minutes, that means I've got 43 minutes to do other things. And if in amongst those 43 minutes it involved cleaning up the mess that my wife had squirted everywhere from the, the lactating breast, nothing else, do you know what I mean? She's not, a, she's not one of those porn stars that uh, you have to clean up a lot after is, is what I'm trying to clarify. It's just I've got no interest in that. But well done to, to Jessie. She did a brilliant job. Surprisingly, the pushing part of the labor wasn't as intense as what she thought it was going to be. The labor part was, was the intense part. Spent a lot of time in hospital the, the last couple of days because it's difficult being a parent, as, as a lot of you guys who listen to, to this show regularly would know. I've got a two-year-old boy, Charlie Popplestone, little champion. And the other day, middle of the night, he woke up sounding as though he was suffocating. Very strange. It was, it was those full gasp, you know, that... It sounded labor, uh, like very laborious. It sounded like he was going through something. And so in a fluster, I thought, well, we can't wait for this. I had to call the ambulance. It was 2 o'clock in the morning. They rocked up. Uh, we put him in the ambulance. We went into hospital. Halfway to hospital, I knew he was going to be fine. They gave him a drug called Dex, which is, uh, that's its shortened name. I don't know what it stands for or what it's shortened from. Dexamethyldrine or something. It's a steroid that opens up the airways. Halfway to hospital, I knew he was going to be fine. It was a... It was a very early start. And it was one of those classic ones where, because we were in the ambulance, we got rushed into the emergency part. And then they put us in a room where it takes six hours to see your doctor. And I was like, this is not great. Like, what are we going to do here? So thank God after watching a couple of episodes of Spider-Man, he fell asleep and he's a good little fella. But man, I've, I've had my fair share of hospital visits for the last couple of days. The last, you know what? I, I would say for the next couple of years. It's interesting as well. It's going to be interesting just watching the way that we navigate the next couple of weeks because you ladies who have had kids know that a, a few days after you, you cop the, the little post-baby blues. And I'm, I really struggled in this department when, when Charlie was first born, our firstborn, because I didn't know about this three-day thing. I thought my wife was just being a massive bitch. Now we had kids. I, th I thought she had changed. And there's absolutely no empathy on my behalf. Now, all, all I cared about was, you know, getting a cuddle on my kid and the fact that, you know, we could go out for dinner again now without my wife saying she was so pregnant. But after a Caesar, after the emotions, it was, it was a, difficult, a difficult couple of days. But now I'm, I'm well prepared. I'm not really working. Poor little buggers. They had to go into the hospital again because our boy, he's got a little bit of, of jaundice. So uh, apparently something to do with your body's ability to process dodgy red blood cells, I think. I'm not sure what triggers that specifically, but they're back in there until probably Saturday, it looks like. You always feel like an asshole being a husband when your wife has to stay with him because she's got all the milk. And right now, my life is, is more chilled. I just spent a few hours in there. I've got to come home now, do this little podcast before I go get my boy. But it's like, I'm, I'm living the dream a little bit. I feel like a bachelor again, uh, just for just temporarily. There's certain things you shouldn't talk about in public, and this is one of them, because I can I can hear some of your partners listening to this guy. You're really going to listen to this guy. You're going to get your advice from this bloke. Don't get advice from me. I want to clarify, this isn't a podcast you get advice from. This is a podcast to remind you of what not to do in many instances. In many instances, what I talk about, I've, I've done, 
Just, just put that down on your list of what not to do. It's going to save you a whole heap of trouble. In a way, in a very ironic way, it's, it's my attempt to show you how to develop a really healthy relationship by not doing the things that I do. In so many cases, sometimes I nail it. Sometimes I don't. Air cards was a bad idea. My wife told me she wanted, uh, wanted us to make more of an effort to just to share what we thought about each other. And she's a very words person. And she thought that meant that we were going to buy each other birthday cards and Christmas cards and in it write a really nice letter. And too many times, three or four times, I'd wake up on the morning that she was expecting a letter like a birthday and she would say, did you get me a card? I said, sweetie, more than that, I've memorized something from my heart that I want to speak to you right now. And the first time she was like, that is beautiful. By the third time she goes, but are you doing this because you've just forgotten the card? And I said, well, I can't lie to your face. Yes. That's why air cards exist. I want to I want to spontaneously share with you the feelings that I have about you that are positive on, on this particular day. She goes, look, it's just the effort of you going to the store to perhaps buy a card for me would be would mean a lot more to me than, than, than an air card. In fact, this air card is, it's, it's quite ridiculous. I told all of our friends about this in an attempt to show Jessie how well she had done with the husband that she, she has. And, and, and none of them were impressed. They all said the same thing. Tyce, you're, you're very lazy. You should buy your wife a card. And so I've started doing that a little more now. But I think empathy is a strange one for me. I used to think I was quite empathetic. And, and now whenever someone tears up around me, depending on what it is, in fairness, if you've ever te- teared up around me, don't, don't stress. But depending on what it is, I'm, I'm very... I struggle to, to share like that kind of... Sometimes Jesse cries in front of me and I go, oh, I might go for a run. Again, what not to do? Learning by default. Learning by default. So I'm trying to tap into that a little bit because I think empathy is an important thing to have in a relationship, isn't it? You want to be able to do the, the very bare minimum of just being open to hearing some of the struggles that your partner, you know, the love of your life is going through. You can't just be sitting there with your hands in your ears going, la, 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 la. <laughs> just looking down at Instagram. Man, I'm, Instagram's a funny one, man. I, I think I've told you guys. I'm struggling at the moment. I'm in a little addict phase. Whenever I post something on Instagram that I'm excited about, I, I get excited and I can't stop checking it. So I started posting little comedy clips and it's always interesting. I get excited to see the hate that some of them get as well. Like sometimes I like to see, you know, whether people found it funny. A lot of the time I like to see a lot of the, uh, the narky comments that you guys write on there. Like you guys go, I can't, believe, I can't believe you said this. Like what a terrible father. And most of the time I'm on your side, but some of you are very creative with some of the insults. So... On a regular basis, I'll try and go back to that Instagram post and I'll just I'll stop in and, and see if there's any new ones. And especially, I told a story a while ago about a, uh, my little boy eating hallucinogenic mushroom that I'd accidentally dropped on the floor and didn't realize where it was. And that one got the most hate. I genuinely thought I was going to be arrested. I'm not even sure if you're allowed to speak openly about a story like that. DHS comes and knocks on my door and is like, Tice, you know, <laughs> they didn't. But I felt like that could have been where it was going. And so you get in the habit, don't you, of, of just picking up the uh, picking up the phone and, and checking it. If I have the Instagram app on my phone, my biggest issue is I'll just pick it up and and without thinking about it, I'll I'll just start scrolling. Okay, what well, what's happened here? For a bloke who loves the book Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport, I've got to start implementing some of those rules. So my rule today is hey, no checking until six p.m. Then you can have fifteen minutes just to check. Because it's not just Instagram. I also, I've got a running business on the outside of here and I like to regularly check how my how my uh, athletes are going. I like to check if anyone else has signed up. I like to check 
about what the paycheck's looking like next week. And, and between all these things, each thing just offers like a little dopamine hit. Each week's a little bit like a bang, oh, the excitement. And before you know it, I'm checking it every five minutes. So uh, today is a, it's a day to prove to myself that I still have some level of discipline when it comes to this kind of stuff. You've got to be careful as well because I, I, I've got this book downstairs. I think I actually gave it to the op shop stupidly. It's about the 12-step program. You know the AA, the Alcoholics Anonymous? Because so many things that they speak about in there, I feel like I, I relate to, but not in the sense of alcohol, in the sense that how I approach other things. Like an alcoholic might go out and get another drink. I might, you know, just open up my membership and see if any members have joined up. It's just like, it's that it's a different drug, but it's that same, it's that same thing, do you know? And uh, what's super exciting at the start becomes less and less exciting as you do it more and more. So essentially what I'm trying to say is without ever having done heroin, I understand what they're going through uh, during the withdrawal period. Listen to Joe Rogan talk about a TV show just the other day. He was talking about, I think it was in the 90s, was it? Maybe it was later than that. Celebrity rehab, just watching celebrities who have, who have been on drugs for, for quite a period of time, just gone through rehabilitation. They go, you know what? What a beautiful TV show this would be. And so they would go to these people in the middle of perhaps the worst times of their life as they're withdrawing from drugs, as they're struggling with just the need or the desire to, to get back on it. And as a result, they get violent, get aggressive, sort of like me when I'm working up at 2 a.m., um, you know, without the aggression and the violence as much as just the temper. I just want to clarify, in case any of you think I've got my wife in a headlock, holding my kid by his ankles because I'm so frustrated. It's not that. It's more just the, it's just an ugly picture. It's not all sun, sun, sunshine. It's not all sunshine and rainbows. Sounds like an interesting TV show. I'm going to see if it's on YouTube, actually. Maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll watch a little bit. I've got to get this device. So I've got a, I've got a special box, and it can play videos through here, so you guys can watch it together on the YouTube page. But um, unfortunately, the microphone. I did the last podcast episode. I did. I used the box, but I used this microphone, and as a result, the audio and the video is all out of whack. So it looks like I'm a ventriloquist when I'm talking. So I'm going to get that new motor, uh, that new motorbike, that new microphone. And once I've got that new microphone, mate, me and you, we're going to be looking at videos on this podcast each week. Whenever I've got something I want to show you, let's have a little sneaky look. That's what we'll do. But at the moment, I just have to, uh, I have to tell you. Otherwise, we'd find that out together. It's amazing how many things you see on the internet, isn't it? There's, there's a lot on there. There's a few things. I saw this one before. How's this? Um, some things you don't want to see. Like it's, it's very strange. It's kind of nice in, in some regards, this body positivity. It's not nice in the sense that I want to encourage people to be obese because I care about your health, but it's nice in the sense that, all right, we've developed the ability to understand that a person's well a worth isn't just found purely in their body weight. Do you know? They're like their, attractive, their attractiveness levels might be. That's my personal opinion. I'm not into... You do see online some of those people who they've got their wife to 400 kilos and they just want to see how far they can push it until that leathery skin that she's developed explodes. I remember years ago I saw I saw that TV show. It was this guy who was like, "You have to go there. I, just, I really like it." All these women had been completely overweight, obese, and he's like, "At the moment, we're dealing with a pus that's leaking through her skin because she's she's just that morbidly obese." I thought that's not something we should celebrate, is it? But if she was alive in twenty twenty two, everyone on the left would be going, "Hey, you do you, honey? Oh, you're gorgeous in your own way. I love that pus down your ass, bitch." <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure why I've gone sort of African American lady uh, in the way that I've said that, but it just felt like the natural. It just felt like the natural accent that I should do. 
like an episode of Cops. There's one that I saw on, online before I uh, hit record today that I had to share with you guys because this is a classic example of what shouldn't be shared openly with people. That, and, and I think the point of the story is in the headline. It says, world's oldest supermodel. Questionable start. Who wants to see that? Next question, how old is she? Carmen Del Orifice, which I feel as though is a joke name. That has to be a stage name. 91 years old, stuns in a nude shoot. Listen, my, my grandma passed away at 83. And even at the young age of 83, I knew there was no part of me that wanted to see her with her shirt off. I got the idea of what it would have looked like. It would have been, it would have been loose. It would have been wobbly. She struggled with skin cancers from time to time. There would have been a few scars. There's no part of me, and I know a lot of people who agree with me on this, there's no part of us that look at our grandma and go, I, I would love to see her in the nude. That would make me happy. Let's see. Let's try and get a bit of an understanding about what this lady is going through. Granted, she, she looks younger than, than 92. No, no, I'm not justifying it. Have a look at the screen there. Can you see that? I would go as far, like she's got a lot of makeup on as well. Here it says, uh, for Carmen Delorifus, questionable name, age truly is just a number. This isn't just about her though. This is about the people who stumble along to that magazine, open it up and go, holy shit, looks like my grandma's taking a shirt off. I'm all, I'm all for confidence building. I'm all for building your self-esteem. You know what I'm not for? 91-year-olds with their tits out. At 91, the silver-haired stunner. They exist, silver-haired stunners. The grey's coming back in. Just a questionable sentence. Is the oldest working supermodel. She's not a supermodel at this stage, is she? She could be a model. I'll give you that. She might be a model. She's showing off her body. That's a model. Is she super at it? No. Because comparison is is essentially what gets you a job as a supermodel in usually. Like look at Calvin Klein's Instagram page. Unless they're doing some social justice type of thing, I don't think Carmen Delorifus is, is getting a spot there. She's this is a she's like a boxer who can't retire. She's had her heyday. I bet she was glamorous. I reckon I reckon Google this chick from back in the seventies, maybe. What's that, fifty years ago? Already she was forty. Go 60s. I bet she was gorgeous then when she started her work. She's just a boxer who hasn't known when to hang up the gloves. This month she shares the cover of New You magazine. Never heard of it. No surprise there. With another boundary-breaking beauty, Beverly Johnson, 69, of course, who in 1974 became uh, Vogue's first black cover model. Back to Delorifus. Delorifus even posed nude for her shoot, looking completely comfortable. That's because she's 91. I reckon Joe Biden would pose nude completely comfortable. You know why? Because things like dementia don't really allow you to understand that what you're doing is inappropriate. Delorifus, yeah, she even posted nude uh, on the New York Post. Stop it. Here's, here's her words. Just like working with acclaimed photographer uh, Fadil Barishi, it's the perception of what they see in you or me. We are there, a synergy starts to happen, and they bring it out. Oh, I think she's talking about the photographer in this instance, isn't she? That's why she said she was comfortable to strip down. 
It's where the mindset is. That's true. Your mindset might be like one of those men who like the leathery skin women and you find this attractive. I'm going to be honest though. Incredible. I think there has to have been a lot of work done because this lady, maybe she is a supermodel. I didn't look at the photos properly before. No. It's where the mindset is. The photographer's mindset is high, not in the gutter. I mean, we can all put on that. We can put on that act, can't we? Guys will act very, very reasonably, assuming he's a guy, just by the way she stated that sentence. It's all projection. We are all silent actresses, and that's what it's about. Like Johnson Dolorifus, I'd like to know how many episodes, uh, how many uh, uh, prints of this magazine they sell. I'm kind of interested to to get one. Just, it's. I actually think she's attractive. Maybe, I don't know what I'm talking about. Back in 1947, she fronted the Fashion Bible at age 15, making her one of the mag's youngest cover stars of all time. With photographer Irving Perving, Irving Penn, Irving Perving, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what that is. It's a Freudian slip. But I feel like you know where the photographer's mindset's at with that Irving Perving. There's a reason for that slip. I bought my first double page in Vogue to laugh. She recorded her first appearance. Anyway, hey, good on her. Good, yeah, okay, 1950, gorgeous, gorgeous, if I was a man in 1950, I would have been more than, I would have been very nervous to talk to her, you can tell they've done quite a lot of work on her, which is fine, but you can't call it a supermodel really, if it's, if it's just super editing, can you, I think there's some things that we have to go, hey, you know what, this is, this is inappropriate to see, let's just hit pause, and we'll come back to this idea, you know, in a couple of weeks when we're thinking freely, Maybe freely is not the right word. I mean, you've you got to be thinking pretty freely to consider the idea that a 91-year-old's a, a good option for a cover shoot. Give me one sec. Anyway, I can hear people speaking downstairs. It sounds like they're in my front yard, so I'm uh, a little concerned. If it was nighttime, I'd be more scared, but the fact that it's daytime, I'm not scared of those guys at all. <laughs> Don't you reckon it's weird how nighttime does that? It just has like a psychological effect on the way you perceive a situation. I'll hear a sound in my roof right now, and I'll go, I, I don't care because it's... It's 10 to 2 in the afternoon. But at night time, I hear a sound in my roof and I go, Toss, go to the knife drawer. Uh, for a 35-year-old, I don't like staying home alone, really. I don't really like it. My wife's good at it. Not worried at all. I'm out quite often doing comedy and, and she's very comfortable just, uh, just staying home by herself. I remember years ago, back in 2012 or 13, we were up in a place called Olinda, which is up in the hills here in Victoria. Very scary place. The place we were staying at, beautiful house, very old house. No one else around, and and their lounge room was filled. Their lounge room was filled with those. Uh, what are those dolls that they have? They're not. They're knocking at my door right now. What are they doing there? I think they're gone. Maybe it's the postie. Look at me whispering. I'm trying not to let them hear me. We'll just wait this one out together. I'm trying not to be too loud because look, I'm a man at work right now. You don't just go into a man's office and interrupt him while he's working, do you? If they knock again, I'll go down just because I, I don't want to do the rest of this podcast speaking. So I think they're gone. Anyway, what was I going on about? I, I got flustered. I was talking about the fact I'm not scared of anything during the day. <laughs> what perfect timing. They just made a complete liar out of me. I shat myself. I feel like I'm about to be robbed. If that was night time. That's a different thing, though. If you get a knock at your door in the middle of the night, that's that's quite terrifying, isn't it? But roof sounds... Uh, yeah, so this, this house out in Olinda, where we were in country Victoria... Uh, up in the hills, they had all those those plastic dolls. You know those plastic dolls that um, they, I, don't, I don't know what they're called, but they just they look like in a Chucky movie. They come to life, and it's just terrifying. 
she was out there and, and she was more than more than comfortable to stay there by herself. I was scared staying there with her. Not that she'd be able to do anything. I think it's a mindset thing, isn't it? Because she wouldn't have been able to do anything that I wouldn't have been able to do if we were there together. But just that that other person in the house that's like, all right, we're going to go through this together. All right, I think they're doing some work out in my front yard. I'm not 100% sure what's going on, but they're doing my, they're doing my bloody head in, mate. This is a man at work trying to, trying to record art. <laughs> trying to record art here. This is, a, this is ridiculous. No, they're gone. They're gone. Just everyone relax. Everyone likes, hey, did you guys see, uh, since I last spoke to you, um, Elliot Kipchoge. Now, this is a chance that uh, is more exciting to me than it is to you. I'm from a distance running background. I like the distance running world. Elliot Kipchoge, Kenyan athlete, broke the world record for the marathon. His own world record at the Berlin Marathon a couple of weeks ago. Rent, I don't know if you guys appreciate running times. Two hours, one minute. I think it was nine or ten seconds, which is utterly insane over... Over 2K. I think it's 2 minutes and 53 per K for 42 Ks. Go out, what's that? I think 4.37 per mile if you're American. Very, very fast running. I think the fastest mile I ever ran, tactical race, won it, state title, no big deal, 4.11 though. I wouldn't have been able to do two of those in a row. 4.37 per mile for 26.2 miles. Absolutely incredible. I've been watching a documentary about this guy. So the Kenyans, are, they've got, they're, they're really interesting, the old Kenyans. They've got my attention because people always talk about how running, it's an individual sport, and it is really, but the way these guys train, it's a very community-driven sport. It's a very, hey, we're in this together. There's about 30 or 40 boys that go out every morning, they do their run together, do their, they have a laugh, they have a run, because for the Kenyans, going for a two-hour run, it, it is just a social thing. They're not that puffed. For the running Kenyans, I've seen plenty of fatty boomers. I've seen some of the food they serve in Kenya. Old Nairobi serving up a lot of fried duck. But it's interesting just to see the uh, see the social side of it. It makes me want to go to Kenya. I'm very interested actually. I think I want to go to the, uh, it's Eton in Kenya where, where they go and train. And always interesting looking at the gym workouts of a distance runner as well. And these guys, I, I wish I could tell you what it was called. Maybe Breaking 2? It was a look at Elliot Kipchoge's attempt to break two hours for the marathon, which was successful a couple of years ago in Austria. Um, yeah, but the, the body weight work that these guys do is very impressive. They're doing their long runs, and then after their long runs, they're going to the gym for two and a half hours, three days a week. And they go, okay, we'll just work on our flexibility, work on our strength. But 2003, I want to say, Paul Turgut, I think, had the marathon world record at 2.05. So what's that? 19 years later, they've taken it down by almost five minutes. And I reckon we're getting close I think the reason where, where we realize how much progress has been made is because the idea of breaking two hours for a marathon when I was 17 or 18, it was like, okay, I thought it was even beyond what the four-minute mile was. Because back in the 50s, the, the, we were told that the human body can't break four minutes for a mile based on the fact that it was just physically impossible to do it. And then here we are. Now we're a minute and 10 seconds away from it. You go, okay, well... Maybe we can do an hour 55. Maybe that's what we're capable of now. I don't know. Who, who knows where we'll be in 20 years, but we'll just watch this space. If you haven't seen him, Elliot Kipchoge, he was world champ over 5K back in 2003. He beat the two best runners in the world at the time, Hishamal Garouj and Kenanisha Bakili, as a 17-year-old dude, supposedly. That was more questionable at the time because the Kenyan age uh, measurements were always a little bit sketchy. But the fact is, if he was any older than that back in 2003, then the fact that he's any older than 36 right now would also seem ridiculous because 
you know, he's running some some crazy times. Anyway. I saw an ad, um, I wanted to talk to you guys about this to see whether it's appropriate. And it made me question some of the marketing moves of this particular company. Now, there was an Australian company, uh, Cheese Brand, who last year renamed their brand. So their, their brand forever, I don't know what year they uh, came into origin. I don't know what year their company, company, their company. Can you tell I woke up early today? I haven't slept. I think the adrenaline of the last couple of days is sort of... Uh, Stop my sleep, and as a result, I'm noticing I'm noticing some little slips and slides here on words, but but we'll just we'll work it we'll work at it together. You know what I mean? I feel like the last little part of this podcast is only going to get more clear. But um, yeah, so Coon Cheese was the name of their company, and as a result of a lot of protest, because here in Australia, Coon is a very very uh, sensitive, racially inappropriate term for an Aboriginal person. It's sort of like it's it's a slang name that I think white people gave them. And it was a, it was definitely not a term of endearment. But I mean, coon cheese wasn't that. It wasn't named as that. So it's a little bit like the uh, swastika. I don't think it was created for Hitler. It was like a Hindu, Hindu symbol back in the day. But then the Nazis came, they stuffed it up for everyone. So maybe I see where they're, where they're coming from, but they changed their name from coon to cheer. And the other day, I was driving down the uh, the freeway, and I saw a massive big billboard ad- ad- uh, advertising this new brand of cheese, and it said, bring a little cheer. And it said, bring a little, and then it had the cheer brand underneath it. And I thought, like, surely that couldn't have been the marketing term. That couldn't have been the catch cry for the brand before their name change, could it? Because you can't be advertising your cheese as, hey, bring a little coon. And yet they did it. I feel like something in HR, they, they made a little mistake there. They've got to be more careful. If you're coming off a name change because you're being sensitive to the climate of the time, you can't be coming out and go, hey, you know what? Well, here's a great name for it. Bring a little cheer. Because we all know what your name used to be. I feel like these guys are taking the piss with this marketing campaign. I feel as though they're saying, hey, let's see how sensitive people really are. Maybe it's a fun little slogan. I've definitely talked about it more than I should have. It made its way to my Instagram story the other day. I thought, people need to know about this. We've got a bunch of phonies on our hands. The marketing team here at, at Cheer Cheese, it rolls off the tongue better, doesn't it? Coon Cheese. Like, uh, I've stopped buying it just because I thought, oh, no, another company's just bound down to the social pressure. I'm not sure. I spoke here last week about how I'm not overly happy about all the welcome to countries taking place. So maybe I'm just out of touch with what's going on. I have been watching a lot of Sky News, which is the Fox News here in Australia. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's hampering my mind a little bit. Maybe I'm becoming, maybe this is where the lack of empathy comes in. All the logic's taken over. That's what I say. That's essentially what you say when you want to say you're right, isn't it? And someone else is just not seeing it clearly. But I don't know, what are your thoughts on that? Is that, is that appropriate? Who am I to wonder about appropriate? I mean, we're 40 minutes into a podcast that there's been plenty of things said here. One thing that I am trying to work on is the way that I speak to my kids. My my wife and I have decided or we've realized that our oldest boy is starting to really understand what it is that uh, that the way that we speak is making an impact on our kid. He, He recognizes what we're saying and he repeats a lot of stuff after us. So we've got to be more careful now. We've got to be more positive with our language. We've got to use like a growth mindset. The other day I said to, to Charlie Boy, Charlie, you've been a wanker, do you know, because I was, I was very frustrated with him. And Jesse goes, babe, growth mindset. Give him some room to work with. So I've been trying to rephrase it. I said, Charlie, you're acting like a wanker. 
you're not you're not a full-blown wanker. It's just a little act that you're doing at the moment, which is, is pissing Dad off, to be quite frank. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? If you want to be the favourite kid, stop acting like a wanker. Acting. You're not one. You're just acting in a particular way. Just like Brad Pitt is not that weird hippie from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He's acting like it. Brad Pitt's a cool guy, though, isn't he? It's interesting how he's not on any form of social media, I don't think. Never seen Brad Pitt on there. It's weird how I... So every comedian or every person my age and below says, I oh, know if you want to get famous in, in the comedy world now, you have to be on TikTok. But I don't know if I fully buy it. Because how did you get famous back in the day? I guess you were on like a, a late night show with Jimmy Carson. But you've still got options. Like there's the Joe Rogans of the world have their show. There's big platforms out there. Like maybe it is possible to become a big deal in your industry without having to have a social media presence. But it's a risk I'm not willing to take. <laughs> the world needs every chance to access this brilliance. Sounded quite, sounded quite sincere the way I said that. I'd like to clarify that uh, there's only moments of brilliance on this show. It's not all brilliance. Not Gandhi over here. In skin colour anyway. In mindset, very, very close to it. Very close to it. One of the things that um, at the hospital today, look at this, I took a photo of it because it, you look at a hospital. Now, this is where I get a little bit concerned. I get a little bit interested in the, the state of our healthcare system when I see things like this because as a bloke who's very interested in nutrition, I'm very interested in exercise, I, I like to think that my body's getting all the nutrients, the micronutrients, and perhaps being supplemented in the areas that I might be lacking through my food. I know the importance of food. I'm not a doctor. I don't have any qualifications. I don't think yet it's very controversial to say that. We know that we are what we eat. It's a cliche for a reason. So you think at a kid's hospital, at the hospital in the kid's ward, one thing you want to encourage children to consider is the food choices that they make. And so I I was in there today when uh, when the food came around. They said, look, it's not for your baby, obviously. He's on breast milk. He's three days old. But for my wife, who's in there for a couple of days, they said, we can give you one of the kids' meals. And she goes, oh, that'd be great. Here's what it was. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn the brightness up for you because I don't know that you can see it. Oh, sorry, just banged the microphone there. For those of you listening, it's three party pies. It's powdered potato and I think legitimate carrot or sweet potato. Old Poppy had to fire up a little bit. Poppy, I didn't fire up. I just took a photo and showed you. That was me firing up. But it, is that strange to you? Why is that normal? I dropped a little care package off that my wife prepared for some friends who were at the Royal Children's Hospital a few weeks ago. And my friend said, all right, when you get in there, we'll meet you outside Macca's. I said, hang on a second. We're at the Children's Hospital. How did Macca's get a spot here? What's happening here? Like what, how do things like this just slip? This is where I get confused. I think, oh, are, we, are we that out of touch with nature? Are we that out of touch with what is good for us and what actually helps us thrive? That all of a sudden now it's okay to put a... It's okay to put a, a Macca's in a, a kid's hospital. What's happening there? I guess there's a psychological benefit to a food. I used to feel pretty good when I opened a Happy Meal back in the day. I've heard it argued that we overlook this psychological aspect of... of Food. I heard Andrew Huberman, who's a neuro, is he a neuroscientist? He's got a podcast called Huberman Lab, Huberman Lab, very good one. But he spoke about how quite often we we overlook the psychological benefits of food, 
purely for the nutritional benefits of food. So if you feel great eating a hot dog, then your body actually sends a message through to your body that, hey, you're getting something that you need. And I don't know, it's a weird argument, surely, because everything's related, isn't it? Like that mind-body connection is a thing, but the idea that you can eat, be eating a hot dog and convince your body, like you wouldn't be able to live on that, would you? Like surely that psychological, that placebo effect, it only works for a little while, and then your body goes, hang on a second, I'm going to put a little cancer in your kidney because this doesn't seem, <laughs> this doesn't seem appropriate. This doesn't seem like the best way to, the best way to feed me. I don't know, it just rubs me up the wrong way a little bit. Maybe I'm a little bit high and mighty, maybe I'm a little bit arrogant. Maybe I'm still frustrated at the medical scene because I felt like, you know, they were very forceful with this vaccine, weren't they, a little while ago. Anyway, I've gone on about that too much, ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to formally apologise. It's the last time I ever talk about it, this podcast anyway, because we're about to finish. Maybe next week I'll, uh, I'll talk about it all over again. Next week got a podcast for you with uh, Elite performance coach by a guy named uh, Mark Dobson, who's a big inspiration of mine. I've already recorded it. I'm excited to bring it out to you because he's, uh, he's a good guy. We speak, uh, we speak about a whole heap of stuff, but I'll tell you about that more next week. I'm, uh, I'm going to look. I'm going to go live up like a bachelor while I can do it Saturday because I've got the house to myself and all the options. While my wife's there with a, an ice pack on her vajiji and a kid with jaundice, my child's at daycare. I could watch a movie now if I wanted, but I'm not. I'm going to go to the gym. And I come home, clean my house up a little bit. It's spotless. My mum's been here. What a wonder, mum. But that's enough from me for today, ladies and gentlemen. I'm a, uh, I'm a busy man, a father of two. Ollie, welcome to the world. Guys, thanks again for being here. Until next week, much love to you and your family. And I'll, uh, I'll be back again next week with myself and Mark Dogson for a podcast where I spoke about the fact that I was slurring my words. I'm very disappointed that the last word of the podcast my friend's surname was mispronounced, but that's just the way it is. Ladies and gentlemen, God bless you and your family, and I'll see you all here next week.